when Provenge was FDA approved, we did not have a lot of the oral hormonal therapies to treat prostate cancer. But now in the real world, we have a lot more drugs for people who have prostate cancer. In the current treatment landscape of advanced prostate cancer, how does Provenge fare out? Welcome to this podcast sponsored by Cancer ABCs. I am Joel Nowak, founder and CEO of Cancer ABCs. For this podcast, we are fortunate to have Dr. Raina McKay, who is a medical oncologist with Moore's Cancer Center at the University of California, San Diego, where she is an associate professor of medicine. We've invited Dr. McKay to join us so that we can discuss her recent publication, about her real-world analysis, examining the possible survival advantages that men with metastatic castrate-resistant prostate cancer may gain by using the immunotherapy called Provenge, or simple cell T, in their treatment protocol. Welcome, and thank you, Dr. McKay, for joining us. Before we dig into your most informative paper, I would ask if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about Provenge and what makes it so special and how does it work? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So Cipulucil T is actually one of the first vaccine therapies that was actually approved for any solid tuber. It is an autologous cellular immunotherapy designed to stimulate the patient's own immune system against cancer. And Cipulucil T is manufactured in several steps. First, the patient's blood is run through a machine in a process known as leukophoresis. During this process, the patient's immune cells are collected, specifically their antigen-presenting cells are collected. The immune cells are then exposed to a protein intended to stimulate those cells to fight against the cancer. And then these now activated cells are then returned into the patient to treat the prostate cancer. It's a therapy that is administered intravenously. It's usually given in three doses that are two weeks apart. In a large um, phase three trial, Provenge demonstrated improved survival in patients with advanced uh, metastatic uh, hormone-resistant prostate cancer. So Cipulucil T is a type of immunotherapy that is designed to stimulate a patient's own immune system against the cancer. The way that it is manufactured is the patient's blood is run through a machine and the immune cells are actually collected from the patient. And then the immune cells are exposed to a specific protein that's intended to stimulate those immune cells and have them be better directed against the cancer. All these activated immune cells are returned into the patient to actually treat the cancer. Patients will have this procedure done or receive this therapy for three doses um, that are about two weeks apart, then essentially the treatment is complete. Large phase three trial presented in 2010, Cipulucil T demonstrated improved overall survival and the results of that trial actually led to its FDA approval for men who have minimally symptomatic prostate cancer with no visceral metastases who have developed resistance to hormonal therapy. 
if I understand correctly, what we're talking about is taking out the immune cells from a person's blood, treating them so that it becomes sensitized to the prostate cancer and then giving it back. Would that be a, a relatively accurate summation? That's correct. That is correct. Terrific. I know there's some issues on pain for the FDA label. If I'm in severe pain, according to the label, can I qualify to take Provenge? So the label is for people who are minimally symptomatic from their disease. We know that Provenge does not actually result in a decline in PSA or improvement of cancer on scans, but it does make people live longer. So if somebody is having symptoms, and we think that those symptoms are being driven by their cancer, Provenge is probably not the ideal next therapy to put them on. It's not going to result in any immediate improvement of that pain. That leads us to an interesting question. So if a man does have significant pain and he takes another treatment, whatever it is, and the pain goes away, would he at that point qualify? Yes. If the patient has received some other therapy to control their cancer, they're not really symptomatic, and we deem that whatever therapy they were on is working, that would be an ideal candidate. Yeah, that's terrific, because I don't think a lot of men and some doctors realize that you can use it later on as long as you resolve some of the pain issues. I, I think that's terrific news. You also mentioned castrate-resistant. If you wouldn't mind, would you just describe what that actually means? I know that's actually a, a terrible name. So the other term that we use is hormone resistance. What that means is despite a patient's testosterone being very low, whether that's because of a medical therapy or a surgical therapy, their testosterone is very low, the cancer is still getting worse. Either the PSA is climbing and the testosterone is low, or the scans are getting worse and the testosterone is low. When cancer gets to that state, is termed castration resistance, meaning if things are getting worse, the testosterone is low. So besides being castrate-resistant or hormone-resistant, they also need to be metastatic, meaning that the cancer has left the prostate gland and has appeared somewhere else in their body? That is correct. Cipulosal T is indicated for metastatic um, castration-resistant prostate cancer. You touched on an issue that has created some misunderstanding and confusion among men, and I suspect also among some doctors that Provenge will not affect PSA, or rarely does. So a lot of people say, well, if it's not going to affect my PSA, how do I know it's working? I'm just wasting my time and I'm wasting money. I would say that there's many therapies that we give for prostate cancer that don't necessarily impact PSA, but make people live longer. Ultimately, at the end of the day, PSA is just a biomarker the level of PSA is not necessarily going to hurt anybody. It's just a reflection of the current disease state. And there are some patients that have a very low PSA, but have a high disease burden in their system. PSA is just a barometer. When people have hormone-resistant disease, PSA may not be the best marker to assess whether something is or isn't working. Stopping a therapy just for a PSA rise without any clinical evidence of things getting worse, you end up cutting short the lifetime of any given therapy. And we know that we don't have a million therapies to treat this disease. So we need to be really prudent with 
when we decide to stop and start a therapy. There are other therapies that are not hormonal therapies that don't really impact PSA. We know that they actually improve patient survival. Radium-223 is an example of that. It's a life-prolonging therapy for men with prostate cancer, but it doesn't have an effect on PSA. Drugs like abiraterone that actually target the androgen access do have an effect on PSA because PSA is a readout of the androgen access. But we know that in people who have hormone-resistant disease, the androgen access isn't the only access that's at play. There's other things that drive the disease to grow. Just because there's no PSA response doesn't mean that somebody can still derive benefit from a given therapy. I would argue that survival is probably more important than therapies that can make a PSA go down or cause a PSA to go up. I think we just have to be really careful about that. I think that's true. The problem is that once a man becomes metastatic, we get drilled that PSA is your best friend because it tells you what's going on. It's a little nerve wracking to see your PSA going, especially while you're doing a treatment and to continue it and not move on to something that might affect the PSA. But as you said, what's really important is survival. And the data shows that men will live longer or have a better chance or they lower their risk of dying if they use Provench. I guess that's kind of where we're at with that, correct? That's correct. I think this really leads us right into your study, which I think is really interesting. It's termed real-world data. That's actually right in your title. What does that mean, and why is that important? So the reason that's important is when Provenge was FDA-approved, we did not have a lot of the oral hormonal therapies to treat prostate cancer. But now in the real world... We have a lot more drugs for people who have prostate cancer, abiraterone and zalutamide, darolutamide, apalutamide. There's a lot of oral agents that are used to treat this disease. This is why we did the study. In the current treatment landscape of advanced prostate cancer, how does Provenge fare out? You know, the trial was done over a decade ago or about a decade ago. Do we still see a benefit to this therapy? If so, what would that benefit be and how does it play into the landscape for advanced CRPC. That was really the genesis for this work. It was sort of to better understand in the current treatment era, how does this therapy pan out? How does it pan out? So in this retrospective analysis, we utilized a large claims database, a Medicare claims database to really delve into the data. We corrected for lots of factors that could account for a patient's disease status. We controlled for opioid use, pain medication use. We controlled for sites of metastases and other prognostic variables that could predict why somebody would do better or worse, especially given the label indication that cipulosal tea is utilized in people who have minimally symptomatic disease. What we showed was that people who received, compared to those patients who did not receive cipulosal tea, actually had a 41% reduction in the risk of death compared to those who didn't. So I think that that is really important information to have. We found that any first-line use and any-time use actually resulted in improved outcomes. If you use cipulosal tea right when somebody develops metastatic hormone-resistant disease or a patient received it at any point in time during their state of being hormone-resistant, if they got Provenge, they seem to do better than people who never saw Provenge. 
I think that speaks to the efficacy in part of this regimen. I think probably the differing mechanism of action of this regimen. This is a short therapy. They're done with it, they go on to the next thing. But I think that this data were quite impressive and even in a analysis where we try to adjust for a lot of variables that could confound what we thought. I think this is really amazingly important information. As you pointed out, the original trials were done over 10 years ago and landscape has changed significantly. It's really good to know that this treatment still has a place despite all the changes that we have. I think this is so timely and so important. I think you've made a major contribution. I was curious, as you look through your data, did you look at any survival differences depending upon when man had Provenge? I know you referenced that it was good in various stages, but is there actually a difference or a more optimum time that someone should consider taking it? So we did not specifically look at when is the best time to receive Provenge, but we looked at all the different times that any patient could receive Provenge. And at any point in time, in the first line use, people who got Provenge seemed to do better than people who didn't. In the any time use, people who got Provenge seemed to do better than those who didn't. If people got it beyond second line compared to other people beyond second line who didn't get it, they do better. We didn't compare which line was the best. I think that's harder to do because people's disease evolves as they are farther along in their disease course, their cancer may be more resistant. Any line of therapy seemed to be associated with improved survival compared to those who didn't get it. Some doctors don't believe that Provenge adds value to a treatment protocol. As a result, it's often underutilized. I'm wondering from your perspective and your experience, have you seen that and what would you attribute that to? I do think that is an underutilized therapy. It has a very niche FDA indication in that people have to be asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic and not have visceral metastases. Actually, a lot of our patients fit that category. The majority of people who have prostate cancer that's advanced don't necessarily have spots in their lungs or spots in their liver. They have bone-predominant disease or bone and lymph node-predominant disease. Depending on where they're at in their disease course, especially those people who may be just early in their course of becoming castration-resistant, maybe they've been on Lupron for a long time, there's nothing happening on their scans, but their PSA is rising and they've got metastases, that would be a perfect individual for cipulusal T, and it may be somebody where you may not even be thinking about switching them and putting them on a therapy because their scans aren't changing, they're just having a slow-rising PSA, and you may be wanting to drag your feet about subjecting them to the next systemic therapy, whether it be chemo or whether it be hormonal therapy with prednisone. And I do think that there is a, a sweet spot for utilizing the therapy as a, as a short therapy. It is a little bit more cumbersome to give than just prescribing an oral pill. I think it takes time to educate patients and family members about the therapy. It's a process. You have to kind of coordinate things with the blood bank. There are more steps involved, but those steps shouldn't necessarily hinder us utilizing it in the clinic if we think that there's value, especially given the mechanism of action. It's a very different kind of medication than just chemo and hormone therapy. Well, you've kind of touched on it. How is it different than, say, hormone therapies or chemotherapy? It's actually a immune therapy. It works to stimulate the immune system to fight the cancer. It works by removing the patient's immune cells 
stimulating them and then reinfusing them back in to actually fight the cancer. So it's, it's a totally different type of therapy than hormone therapy. Quite honestly, other than just it being a little bit of a cumbersome therapy to, to give, it has pretty minimal side effects. It's generally a very well-tolerated medication. The major side effects with its use can be fatigue. Maybe on the day the cells get administered, there could be sort of reaction to the cells like a rash or maybe some shortness of breath or an infusion reaction, but that's not very common. So it tends to be a fairly tolerated procedure. The leukophoresis process takes about generally three to four hours. Yes, it's annoying to be hooked up to machine for three to four hours doing the immune cell removal. It's not all your immune cells that get taken out. It's essentially, you can think of it almost like a pint of blood, like doing a blood donation. It's not all your immune cells, but just a small amount of your immune cells that get removed for this procedure. You're not going to compromise uh, someone's immune system and make them more susceptible to something else. No, generally not with this therapy. It doesn't drop your immune counts generally. It doesn't work in that kind of way. It doesn't take away your lymphocytes. It works to remove the antigen-presenting cells, not necessarily your T cells that are doing the heavy lifting with regards to fighting infection. And again, when it gets reinfused, you're actually reinfusing that person's own cells, correct? Exactly. That's correct. So we're just supercharging my cells and making them recognize the prostate cancer as being a cancer and hopefully go after them. That's correct. That's kind of amazing. It's so simple, and yet it's such an amazing process. Yeah. Are there other immune therapies that we use in prostate cancer? And if there are, how do they differ from Provenge? Very good question. So there are... Currently, there is one other immunotherapy that's FDA-approved for prostate cancer. That immunotherapy is called pembrolizumab, and it's FDA-approved for prostate cancers that have a very distinct molecular alteration called microsatellite instability, or MSI high tumors. They are genetically altered tumors that have alterations in the way that those cancers repair their DNA those tumors are very sensitive to pembrolizumab. Pembrolizumab is indicated for any solid tumor that has such alterations, prostate cancer being one of them. Pembrolizumab is a immune checkpoint inhibitor that blocks PD-1. It's a monoclonal antibody to PD-1, and it's FDA-approved for multiple malignancies. MSI high is actually a genomic mutation, is that correct? That's correct. It's a subset of prostate cancers. It probably accounts for 1%, 1% to 2% of all prostate cancers. For people who have advanced prostate cancer, they should all undergo molecular testing to see what kind of genetic mutations their prostate cancer has. One of the things that the genetic test looks for is this MSI status. So one should actually talk to one's oncologist if they have not had genetic testing to arrange for that. That's correct. I'll add that this is not related to immunotherapy, but just this past year, the FDA approved two drugs, one called Olaparib, one called Rucaparib. They're both PARP inhibitors, and they were FDA approved for cancers that have defects in the way they repair their DNA. The only way to find out if a cancer has defects in the way it repairs its DNA is to do a genetic test of the tumor. I think in aggregate, probably 20 to 30% of all advanced prostate cancers fit that criteria. But again, the only way to know if somebody fits that category and could be a candidate for 
a PARP inhibitor is to test them. I'm glad you brought that up because we have on our webpage a chart describing the, the two drugs and when they might be active or not active. So you can even print that and bring it to your doctor if you want to find out if perhaps a PARP inhibitor might make sense for you. Updating the data about Provenge is so important. I think your point that things have changed is important. I'm really glad that you undertook the study because it should give confidence to patients, to caregivers, and to their doctors that Provenge should definitely be considered in the course of treatment protocol. I want to thank you for that because it's that's a really important piece of work. It doesn't sound like it's really important, but it really has such ramifications and such a ripple effect. So thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. So before we wrap up, I was just curious if there's anything that you wanted to add or share about either Provenge and your study or anything else that I have missed or I haven't asked you or you think is important as a man goes off and makes a decision whether or not to do the treatment? Very good question. I think you were asking me about what are other immunotherapies for prostate cancer and and we chatted a little bit about pembrolizumab and then got a little bit distracted and talked about DNA repair and alaparib and and PARP inhibitors because that's just been a landmark breakthrough in the disease, but there are other immunotherapies that are currently being tested for men with advanced prostate cancer, specifically T-cell engaging therapies. Several that are in testing right now include PSMA-targeted bispecific um, antibodies that basically work to bring the immune system closer to the cancer cells um, and actually put the T cells within the vicinity of the cancer cells so that they can actually fight off the cancer. There's been a lot of excitement around PSMA-targeted CAR-Ts, which are re-engineered T cells designed to actually attack PSMA-expressing cells. Studies are currently underway testing T-cell engaging immunotherapies to treat prostate cancer. I think it's still early on, but I think there's a lot of potential immunotherapies on the horizon for prostate cancer, and I think we just need to learn more about their efficacy. That's really interesting information, but just to make it clear, because uh, a lot of men have heard about PSMA, but usually it's in reference to scans, which are breaking news. We just got an approval for a PSMA scan. And also there are theranotics using PSMA as a way to target therapy. And so what you're actually talking about is even a third use of PSMA, and it's not a scan and it's not what we think of as theranotics, correct? Correct. It's not lutetium. It's not getting a scan. It's actually theranotics is basically linking a little bit of radiation to something that targets PSMA. And then the radiation gets delivered to PSMA-specific cells. Here we're talking about how can we, one, get the immune system to attack PSMA cells as opposed to giving each PSMA cell a little bit of radiation. So same target of PSMA, but a different method of attack. I think I take one message out of that between all that's going on with PSMA and the development of immune therapy for prostate cancer, we're hopeful. And that's the word, hopeful. I think it's really important. As you pointed out 10 years ago, when Provenge was first approved, the option was basically chemotherapy. But in the course of the 10 years, we have 
a slew of new drugs. We are developing many more, and most of these drugs will extend survival. They can improve the quality of life. So I find your message to be really hopeful. I thank you for that. Of course. Yeah, I think it is hopeful. I think there's a lot of things that are on the horizon and um, a lot of new discoveries that are currently being tackled. I want to say it's largely because of the contributions of patients who participate in clinical trials, who contribute to us being able to learn more about this disease so that we can help patients live longer and live better. That's all of our goal. But really, I think a lot of this work couldn't be done without patients contributing to the research. I don't disagree with you. It's got to be a team effort, and we all need to work together to get rid of this disease and to get rid of cancer. Ultimately, isn't that our goal, to get rid of cancer? Yes, that's correct. Anyway, I really want to thank you for the time. And most importantly, I really do wish to thank you for the work that you have uh, done in helping men with prostate cancer. And with that, I, I just want to say that this has been Joel Nowak, along with Dr. Raina McKay. If you have any questions about Provenge or anything you've heard on this podcast today, you should email them to Joel, that's J-O-E-L at canceradcs.org. We will try to get them answered. Perhaps if Dr. McKay is willing, we can send some of them on to her. We're always going to try to answer any of your questions. With that, I want to say that everyone should take care, be safe. Again, thank you, Dr. McKay, for your time, your effort, your work, and for this podcast. Thank you so much, Joel. Happy holidays, everyone, and be safe.